This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In a world where businesses can struggle with cash flow, come under attack from admin, and lose track of payments, invoices, and performance, one business and accounting software solution can help you find it all. Enterprise, the invoicing, accounting, and business software that saves the day from admin. Get paid in a flash and take control of your day. Start using now for free for life. Visit enterprise.com. And welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and Rob's here as well. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jerry. How's it going? Yes, good. Thank you. Um, look, so we're going to um, have a chat to one of the December 2019 intake of Conservative MPs today, Matt Vickers, who is MP for uh, Stockton South. But before we get to that, there's kind of been plenty of news going on this week, even though Parliament is in recess. So I've... Um, I was going to say had a quieter week, but it's not really been quieter at all, has it? It's just been different, I think, rather than following select committees and statements in the Commons. There's been uh, plenty of other stuff going on. It's been, yeah, it's been okay. Yeah, I've had the structure to my day goes a little bit during recess. And, you know, when you've not got kind of lobby briefings with number 10 to kind of break up your day and then the Commons sitting, I find myself all at a bit at a bit of a loss. But, uh, but we've carried on. We've carried on. Um, what have you been working on this week? Um, well, there's been a few things going on. I mean, we've uh, there's always um, Northern Transport is always bubbling away in the background uh, at the Yorkshire Post, and actually we're coming to quite a crunch uh, point uh, with with that. The in a few weeks' time, hopefully, we'll be getting the government's uh, integrated rail plan, which is basically their sort of strategy, setting out how uh, HS2 and Northern Powerhouse Rail and other important infrastructure projects like the trans. Pennine rail upgrade are all going to link in with each other and at, at sort of what what times um and it's actually caused a bit of controversy this week which we've covered on the front of the yorkshire post because uh, northern powerhouse rail which is obviously this flagship um high-speed rail project which is supposed to link the big cities of the north um transport for the north have been working on this project for for years now and they were planning to submit the business case in march but they've been told by grant chaps the transport secretary um that basically they need to wait they need to hold off and not submit it until the integrated rail plan has been published which has a couple of knock-on effects uh the, the most important one i guess is that they may have to change their business case based on what the integrated rail plan comes back with and they may have to do loads more work on it and it may be that the uh, the integrated rail plan sets a budget which is less than they'd bargain for and so they might have to um reduce the uh uh, some of the more ambitious elements of the plan, like you know, stopping at Bradford City Centre or a new line between Liverpool and Manchester, some of that might have to go out the window. So it, it, it's prompted quite a lot of uh, consternation in in northern northern transport circles. The way that uh, the DFT are, are dealing with the situation. 
Yeah, and it comes after, doesn't it, that Transport for North have had um, some of their budget cut and, you know, Labour have um, actually this week said that, you know, that the Tories keep making promises on major projects, major rail projects in the North, and um, there's not a spade in the ground yet. So I think we, we would quite like to see something happening really wouldn't we yeah i think so i mean uh you know it's a lack of progress on big infrastructure projects is not something that's unique to the current situation um but i think it, it it's it, there is a an interesting dynamic between the current government and transport for the north which was you know ostensibly set up to transform the north's transport links but the point of it was that it was supposed to represent uh you know the voice of the north uh and and you know present a united front to uh to the government but the government uh seems to not be particularly keen on that approach uh, at the moment which is why they've cut as you say cut tfn's funding quite significantly and they've um set up this new acceleration council which is a, a much less um uh, it's basically Grant Shapps essentially deciding what he wants to do with a little bit of advice from other people and then doing it rather than every northern politician sort of uh, having having a bit of an input into what's going to happen. So I guess it's a it, it, it arguably might get things done a bit quicker, but it won't necessarily be representing the uh, the wishes of of northern leaders in quite the same way. Yeah, and you know tying into that with kind of waiting for things things you've been waiting for for a long time and devolution is. Um, the West Yorkshire mayoral race, of course, which, um, you know, this podcast goes out on a Friday, which means that as of as of release tomorrow, Saturday, we will know who the Conservatives are putting up as their pick. And we already know Tracy Braben, um, MP for Batman Spen, is Labour's candidate. But uh, we found out earlier this week there are there were two people on the shortlist for the Conservatives. There's Matthew Robinson, who's a councillor in Leeds at the moment, um, and a uh, Bradford barrister, um, Narinda Sekon, who um, actually ran for Bradford South Sea in 2019. So it's going to be a really interesting race. But we've been waiting for a candidate for quite a while because Tracy was selected in December and we're now, what, February? And they've not got long, have they, really, to, to make this a proper campaign now? No, I mean, I guess it's a different dynamic, isn't it, uh, this year, because there won't be campaigning in quite the same way. But, you know, even regardless of that, the, whoever the candidate is, you know, they, they need to get their name out there and get people knowing about them uh, as soon as possible. I mean, it's, um, I guess, sort of mayoral elections are a bit different to, say, a general election where the turnout is relatively high. I guess it's a bit more comparable to a sort of police and crime commissioner election where you know a lot of people still aren't totally sure what this role actually means and so as a result turnout is generally not hugely high um and when turnout is low that you can get sort of unpredictable results in that situation so even though you might think that you know labor are in a pretty good position actually that you know the low turnout and the fact that you know in terms of the demographics who are more likely to vote, you might think they're more likely to vote Conservative. So it, it might throw up a shock result, even though I think it would have to be said that the two Conservative candidates are not household names, I think it would be fair to say. But that's not to say that they can't they can't win. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. And actually, I've spoken to both of those candidates um, this week, and I don't think either of them think that there's a shoe in for this race. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how the campaigning goes forward um, as we get towards towards May. Um, we've got one more thing we've got to touch on before we move on to speaking to 
um, Matt Vickers, and that's your chat with former Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell this week. What did he What did he have to say to you? Yeah, so John McDonnell is um, doing a series of uh, online events called Claim Claim the Future events, where they're basically mm. looking at different policies and how they might impact on different uh, areas. And one of um, one of the areas he's doing it for is a uh, Cone Valley in West Yorkshire, mm. which um, was held by Labour until the twenty nineteen general election and then uh, and then they lost it but so he he's been doing a bit of media this week and we spoke to him and he said something quite interesting i thought which was reflecting on uh, one of the policies that uh, labor under you know his campaigning uh, eye put out in the run-up to the 2019 general election there's this famous uh, free broadband for all policy where uh, the promise that labor would give every home and business in the uk free full fiber broadband by 2030 if it won the I election i remember it well it was mocked wasn't it mocked at the time by it all wa- quarters it was i think uh, boris johnson described it as a, a crackpot scheme and it, it, when people were sort of reflecting on why labor uh, did poorly in the election it, it was sort of policies like this which were deemed to be a bit pie in the sky and maybe not costed which um were, were deemed to have sort of cost labor and sort of made them seem uh, you know not not the party of of government but uh you know a few months down the line obviously in the unprecedented situation that we're now in where all kinds of you know massive state interventions are being made to uh, cope with the current situation. John McDonnell was saying that actually, um, you know, this policy is now exactly what the country needs. And, you know, many people would consider it to be common sense. And I think there actually is a, a bit in what he's what he's saying, you know, given the reliance that so many people have now on being educated at home via a laptop rather than going into a school and how everyone's you know working from home these days you know free broadband guaranteed and you know with prioritizing the areas that are at least well off in this particular field you know could potentially be seen as a a good idea and the the conservatives yeah. have promised i think to get uh full fiber broadband for, for everyone by 2025 but i think they've had to row back a bit on that uh, on, on that pledge uh, so it's 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 an interesting topic for discussion if if nothing else yeah absolutely and that tory pledge actually has been quite um a big part of their whole leveling up agenda which is something that we speak a lot about and something that i am going to talk to matt vickers about now Right, so look, I'm really excited because we've uh, got Matt Vickers, who is um, one of our, well, I keep saying new MPs, right, but we're like more than a year out from the election. But we've got Matt with us today. Matt, thank you so much for coming on Podzone Country. It's really great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Um, I think, I think it, it, it's been a long year, a very long year. Um, <laughs> do you do you still feel like a new MP or what? <laughs> I think, so it's, it, it's weird because it doesn't feel like it's been a year and I'm sure we've missed out on lots of things because the way of the world at the moment that we might otherwise have done. Um, but I'm loving it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was um, in an event earlier this week, actually, at the um, Centre for Policy Studies one with the NRG and um, your fellow 2019 intake uh, colleague, Dehna Davison, was there and she was saying, I can't believe this has been my first year as an MP, basically. And I imagine you feel the same. Yeah, I don't think anybody saw it coming. I don't think anybody could imagine how big a shift it's been. Um, lots of the things that I think we anticipated doing as MPs, we just haven't been able to do. Well, not in the same way. Um, although I think we've all had sort of death by Zoom like everybody else. Um, yeah. I know. I don't, I don't know what's happened to the traditional phone call, personally. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but we carry on. Look, um, I'm really pleased that you've agreed to come on today because I've got loads that I want to 
get through with you. But to start off, I mean, tell me a bit about your journey into becoming an MP because you have really become an MP at a really pivotal time for your party, haven't you? What What's the background to it? What made you interested in politics? So I think it's quite it's a very interesting question. I'd always had an interest in the world around me. Um, and my I obviously have the huge pleasure of representing the area that I call home. I'm a local mm-hmm. lad. I was born at the local hospital, went to a local school in the patch. You know, all, all the people I bump into in my constituency are, you know, I bump into people I've worked with, I bump into people I've gone to school. And that's just a huge, enormous, fantastic thing. And it adds so much value to what, to what I, when I achieve something. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the difference that's made is actually a difference to my neighbours, to my mates, to my family members. Uh, and that's, that's huge. Um, I kind of probably have a relatively normal background, I think. Um, <laughs> I pulled pints, laid bricks and stacked shelves in Stockton. Um, I used to work in retail for Woolworths and Home Bargains. Uh, family have a construction firm. Dad's a builder. Mum was a hairdresser. Um, and I got switched on to politics probably at a young age. It was very interesting what was happening around me. Um, politics is a force for change and for good. Um, I became a local councillor which I think probably spurred me on because you can achieve yeah. lots of, sometimes the big things uh, are the most, the things that make the biggest difference to people's lives are the tiny little things. If you can make small changes, um, whether that be a chair, you know, the little old lady at the end of the street who's having problems with the street light that's outside her house and she'll tell you she's told the council, you know, for a year, no one's ever bothered. And then when you get that little <laughs> result and you see that little smile on that lady's face, that tiny little thing uh, that makes a difference. Um, and if you can get that much of a reward from doing something that small, then when you can do bigger things on the on the national stage, you can make you know it's even more rewarding. Um, I think probably the examples for the contrast is as a councillor, I local school parking problem in my patch. Uh, we managed to get some extra parking spaces put in to try and relieve the school car parking crises. Um, then when I went back on my first school visit as a as an MP, I went back to that same school. Uh, for the tour and they showed me around the building and they showed me a nursery there that was operating from a porter cabin and this porter cabin was rank uh, it was moldy there was a hole in the you know the floor was an absolute state anyway went away made the phone calls we managed to extract some money out of the council that allowed them to access some more money from the diocese because it was a church school and dump if i can do that in my four years in parliament uh, and I managed to pull one of those up every now and again, then I'll be a very happy man at the end of the job. <laughs> oh, God, absolutely. And do you know what? You're absolutely right, I think, about the you know, the point of it being where you grew up. It's it's obviously a bit different. But when I um, started out in journalism, I was working on my hometown paper, a weekly paper. And you know what? There's nothing like your mum's friends cornering you in the supermarket to tell you off about what you've done to keep you on the straight and narrow, is there? <laughs> <laughs> So actually, it must, be, it must be interesting being a journalist because you get all the gossip for real, won't you, on your home turf? If you're flying somewhere else, you never get the real gossip. Oh, dear. Exactly. But, I mean, because so, it's not always like that, is it? You know, you do get MPs that um, represent constituencies they weren't necessarily familiar with before they were elected. And, you know, they obviously grow to love places and you, you learn about them. But do you think it's a bit different? representing the place that you kind of know and have your roots in to maybe representing somewhere where you didn't I think I think yeah to me I think it's a fantastic thing to be doing it on my home turf that the the people who I'm making the difference for are my people um I went out delivering well the day the day they stopped us delivering 
day before I was out <laughs> delivering, I went down the street um, and I bumped into somebody who I went to school with. I bumped into somebody who I used to work with. And that's just quite a fantastic thing. I had like a weird school reunion during the general election campaign where I'm knocking on all these doors. Yeah, I didn't realise you lived here. It was quite, a, it was a very interesting thing to do. Um, I think actually, you know, wherever we live, it changes over time. And now I'm able to be some of the positive changes on my own turf, whether that's that nursery being improved, whether that's money that we're fighting for, for, you know, improvements to car parking in Yarm or the town deal in Thornaby. Uh, if I can bring jobs to the area, it's jobs for my mates, it's jobs for local people. Um, and it, all I, I think it does make a massive difference to represent your local area. Yeah, I completely agree. And you said something there, which is a key point, actually, that I really want to pick up on today, is, you know, a massive thing that we hear from the government and from, you know, the 2019 election is this, leveling up stuff and you talked there about making positive differences in the place that you come from how much of that is tied up with the leveling up agenda was this something that you really felt you know on the campaign trail when you were knocking on doors during the general election that you really needed to deliver for your area I think I think when you hear articulate and this idea that leveling up is, is about you know the fact that across the country there are all sorts of skills and talents um, but in some places a hell of a lot more opportunity and I think that probably is the case uh, in in my part of the world, in our part of the world. Um, and I think I think it chimes true with people. They want their share of what of, of national investment of infrastructure improvements. They want great jobs here, so we don't have some sort of brain drain where everybody has to move to a city or move down south to get a great job. Actually, there's great talents here, and there's real opportunities moving forwards. Um, and we're seeing it, to be honest. Everybody keeps going, oh, well, where, where's this levelling up stuff? Well, actually, we are seeing it in my part of the world. Um, Eaglescliff train station. So during the election campaign, uh, I was out there uh, banging the drum for Eaglescliff train station. So it's a fantastic local train station. Um, mm -hmm. you, can get on the, you can get on the train to London, be there in two and a half hours. Brilliant stuff. Um, but actually, it's there's, the disabled access is appalling. Huge ramps that, that make it, inaccessible to a disabled person um there's a limited space for car parking there's but what what the big situation with this one is that actually if you build a bridge to the other side of the platform you join it up with a lot of open space where you can create a car park you get a lift in there and you've got disabled access it's just like the potential's unreal and actually people have been banging on about it for years now we've been in less than a year um in the budget last year wishy signed off a chunk of money um and it's it's on its way network rail are contributing Combined authority contributing. Um, I had a meeting with Network Rail about it the other day, asking them when they kind of pull the finger out and get the damn thing done. But it's happening. It's really quick and it's really a tangible uh, result. Um, the A19, uh, which has been going on for a long time, so in my part of the world, uh, slightly north of me between uh, Norton and Hartlepool, you've mm -hmm. got this chunk of the road where there is a constant queue. So people who do that commute sit in a queue every night. It's a horrible concrete surface. Um, decades decades of people talking about it and wouldn't it be great if we've got the investment we could add a lane and we could you know remove the pinch point it's there <laughs> it's happening yeah. we're digging yeah. it up now as we speak um future high streets everybody talks about these high streets that you know if we had a bit of cash we could change the place make it fit for the future we could you know make it a nice place to be um it's happening stockholm's just had 16 and a half million pounds to invest in its high street and then these town deals which are the coolest thing about the whole levelling up agenda, where we're taking a town, in my case, Thornaby, a town that's down on its look a little bit. Great town, great people, uh, but actually they could do with a piece of that levelling up pie. 
they could do with some great opportunities. They could do with investment in infrastructure. Well, actually, we've put, we've put a bid together for up to £25 million. Um, that's levelling up. That's real differences to local people. Um, and nobody is getting left behind. Yeah, I find I think that's really interesting, and I don't know, maybe that's some of your um your councillor background uh, coming through there. Because when we talk about leveling up, so often we talk about you know massive infrastructure change or uh, massive policy change or rebalancing, you know, uh, changing the green book and changing spending rules and things like that, which are all important as well. Don't get me wrong, but for you, it sounds like very much the leveling up agenda is making a change for people on the street is that is that that's what I'm getting is that the case I think that's very much it but actually just to draw back to that green book um mm. situation we so we were putting this town deal together in Thornaby and one of the issues we had was around um investment in housing improvements in in public spend sure. um, is, is judged by value add so the criteria around what what good value for money for the taxpayer looked like was about value add so if you invest this in housing how much of an improvement in value is there in financial value um well that's a very different thing in the south to what it is in the north you yeah. can invest x and all of a sudden you can take an area from being worth a certain amount significantly high make a bigger difference in financial terms so a lot of the investment that was spent in housing was geared in in that setup was geared towards the south actually that change has already gone through um and in our town deal that allowed us to bid for housing improvement in some of the toughest parts of Thornaby. And actually, great stuff. Um, stuff that should have just been, it's a no-brainer. It should have happened long ago. Um, and I'm glad we're finally moving that way. One of, the, um, one of the things I'm interested in in that is how much you feel like, you know, people in Whitehall, how much government ministers are, are listening to this. Because there's a great bunch of you, um, you know, who were elected in, December uh, 2019, who have this really strong voice. Do you feel like you're, you know, you're listened to and you're banging the drum for your area, for, for the North maybe more widely? Do you think there's been a change in that the government really recognises this is something they should be addressing? I'd say since being elected, there was two things that surprised me. One uh, was how how easy it was to get heard by a minister, the access. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to go through, well, not so much now because a lot of it's virtual, but they have to go through <laughs> that lobby where you have to go through to vote. Uh, you can chew their ear about that local priority or that challenge that's you know troubling a constituent. Um, the access has been unbelievably good. Uh, and it, you can get in there. You can have the meeting about that little problem that you're not sure how you would get a minister's attention on. The government is listening to its backbenchers. It's listening to all our new MPs. And I think that's a really cool thing and has surprised me somewhat, the level of access. Yeah. Um, probably the second big surprise is when when the pandemic kicked in um and the the reality is that we you know the government has has spent fortunes uh trying to protect jobs keep our economy in check support the nhs record levels of investment in the nhs put more cops on streets and when all this went off with the pandemic and you realize the financial costs and the economic cost of it all the worry was people started saying, well, that's, that's the leveling up dream, you but, you know, you, <laughs> the money's being spent now. You're not going to get up it. Up in smoke, yeah. <laughs> actually, that was the other big pleasant surprise is that after that, the conversations haven't been about where can we cut it, how can we save it? Uh, the questions are about how do we level up? How do we tune in and gear up those bits of the economy, like in Teesside, where we can get that economic growth and we can create more jobs? Um, I think that's a really positive thing, investing for growth. 
Um, and that, that was probably the big surprise because I had, <laughs> I had in my own mind took this noise and thought, oh, where are we headed? <laughs> thought there was going to be a bit of a tightening of the bell, as we as we all did, um, I think. And do you know what? We'll get onto that in a minute because I do want to pick your brains about the budget. But you mentioned yeah. something there about, you know, creating jobs and investing in in Teesside. I noticed that you've been quite a uh, vocal supporter of a free port uh, yeah. coming to the area, which is, you know, this massive kind of pillar, isn't it, of our post-Brexit world. What what do you think that would that would bring? What do you think that would add? And um, I suppose, why why Teesside? So, so for me, there's two major dynamics. One of them is it's about making the most of the opportunities created by Brexit, um, because we could not have a free port to the the level that we're going for that that um, would encourage investment to the level that this free port deal is going to. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think beyond that, the leveling up aspect of it in that free ports are going to be put in areas where we need that leveling up, where we need that investment, where we want to in, induce uh, businesses um, and find that interest and drive some economic growth. And I think that's you know, two, two very big parts of what's going on in the world at the moment is A, the recovery and the creation of jobs uh, and the levelling up and B, making the most of Brexit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, both Immigam and Grimsby will be uh, fighting, fighting you out for that, I'm yeah. sure. But uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a good contest. I think we're um, due to there's hear a bit on that them. soon, aren't we? <laughs> there's room for those guys to come second and third, but we're, we're <laughs> going to be the first one across the line. Uh, oh, gracious <laughs> winner. <laughs> concept's quite a big thing because it was it was something that in the early days before Richard became the treasurer he was probably the big advocate of yeah and then ever since then it's been about actually Teesside have been banging the drum louder than anybody else I think or I hope (laughs) (laughs) no I think you're right and you know you've got a kind of great kind of advocate in um in Ben Houchin in the area as well haven't you so I I think I think it's uh, yeah definitely interesting and you mentioned Rishi there now you know Rishi pretty well don't you because you were the agent in Richmond, is that right? I do, so I know him very well. So when Rishi, um, when Rishi fancied being the, becoming an MP and being the the MP for Richmond, uh, it was me who was having that conversation with. Um, so it's been <laughs> quite fantastic. But the thing is, you saw him in the very early days, and I kind of remember the first phone call I ever had with him and meeting him for the first time. And I think even then, you knew he was a guy who was going places. Um, he's bright, he's articulate, he's switched on, uh, he's got bags and bags of energy and drive um yeah we knew he was going places from the start yeah absolutely and I suppose you know we we obviously um nourish as a uh, constituency MP for the for the YP region as well but from your perspective like you say you always kind of knew he was going somewhere were you you know when he got the chancellor job were you like yeah that pretty much makes sense that's a good pick I imagine you were yeah, very much so. And he's, he's he's the right guy for the time as well. He's very level-headed. He's very sound. He's insanely intelligent. Uh, he's he's a he's a yeah, he's a, a smart cookie. Um, but and I think like like we were saying at the start. Sorry, what's quite interesting him as a select is that obviously he followed in the footsteps of William Hague, and everybody used to talk about how he had these big boots to fill. Well, he's he's definitely he's not a big guy, but he's definitely filled those big boots. Um, <laughs> Uh, you're not wrong. And, you know, we were start talking at the start about how none of you guys who were elected in um, 2019 have had, you know, the year and a bit that you thought you'd have. I don't imagine he's really had the year that he thought he would have as Chancellor either. How do you think he's done? I think he's done fantastically well. Um, I think at the beginning of this 
pandemic, when we looked at the support and how you, because A, it's one thing to give money out. B, it's another to get it to the right places and protect those jobs. And actually, mm-hmm. he's most definitely done it. You know, when you, you talk, when I go to businesses in my constituency and they talk about the package of support they've had, there's always people who will want more. But most yeah, people sure. are genuinely impressed that it's been targeted in the right way. It's hit the people who needed it and it's protected those jobs, whether that be the furlough scheme. It's all about innovation, finding the right solutions. And Rishi is the guy for the job. Um, the furlough has saved unbelievable numbers of jobs. The business rates holiday, the grants based on business rates. It's just been absolutely fantastic and people are absolutely delighted with it. I don't think we ever anticipate it going on this long. I don't think we ever anticipate it costing this much. But do you know what? We've got to protect those jobs so that they're ready to plug in when we get to the other end. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got an unenviable job, really, in that, you know, we've got a budget, haven't we, in a, in a couple of weeks' time, 3rd of March coming up. And I imagine they'll, it will be not, I don't think it's going to be cheery, personally. I don't know about you. Um, but he has got a difficult task ahead of him. Have you been virtually kind of, you know, knocking on his door? Have you got any particular asks that you've been uh, been kind of advocating? Well, we, we have. So we've had lots of um, lots of debate about uh, the Freeport. The Freeport, of course. Sick of, hearing me, sick of hearing from me and my Teesside <laughs> colleagues about the Freeport. Uh, the other thing is about Treasury North. We'd like to see those Treasury North jobs. I think the Treasury North thing is a big concept because not only is it about moving great jobs, to this part of the world it's actually about moving decision making to this part of the world so that the people who are making those big decisions about the the financial future of this country actually have an understanding of what it is to live in the north um the way of life the priorities and i think it's a really big a really big deal so we've been banging the drum to try and get some of those jobs in teesside um the other biggies for me uh, is about this leveling up fund so it was announced that we'd have this leveling up fund mm. we want to see what that looks like in in some some of my colleagues uh, were concerned that a certain element of the budget's been lost from international aid and that there's a similar amount being spent on a leveling up fund. That's <laughs> yeah. entirely the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, we'll see what that leveling up fund looks like, how it's applied, what the prospectus is, um, and that should come from the budget. And I've got very high hopes for it and very excited about it uh, and what it could mean for my part of the world. The other biggie for me, so I chair the all-party parliamentary group on retail. Oh, yeah. Um, from a retail background. So I engage with uh, trade associations on a regular basis, trade with big retailers, little retailers, high street retailers, you name them. I, I'm on a uh, very, well, I have a very, very regular dialogue with them all. Um, and the business rates thing is something that's been going on, you know, business rates as they are are not fit for purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's the debate that we've been having with retailers for, a decade or more um, about how we shape that, how we change it, how we make it fit for the future. Um, actually, the business rates holidays made a big difference. Uh, we need to make sure that when we get to the other end, uh, well, A, I'd like to see it continued for a bit longer because <laughs> the shops still cannot trade. But B, I'd like to see how we lessen that burden on some of our small and medium-sized retailers. Um, mm. it's, you know, Business rates are based on dated valuations. Um, you know, why are you paying for a why are you paying rates at market value that was several years ago? We need to find a way to make them more current. We need to reduce the cost of business rates on those small and medium-sized business. So that's all eyes for me uh, are on business rates. And it's another of the issues that I think Rishi's probably sick of hearing from me about. It must be quite um, quite a strange time, really, to be uh, 
you know, kind of advocating for that kind of stuff because you're quite right. It's so important. But so many of us have turned to, you know, shopping online, for example, during the pandemic. Is there, I suppose you're probably doing work on how high streets and things like that can be supported as we come out of this, are you? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, there is definitely a place for online retail as well because I bump, uh, well, I, I meet with online retailers in my constituency, often third party sellers through big beasts like Amazon. Um, they're, they're fantastic little businesses that are offering a, a great service to people and creating jobs. Um, but I think that our high streets are a really important part of uh, our communities. Not only from the set, we need to look at what the future of the high street looks like. It doesn't look like it did look. It's not all going to be about retail. It may be that we need to find, you know, the high street has to be about an experience. It has to be somewhere we have to go regularly. One of the things I've been in discussions with uh, my local hospital about is it was an idea that came up from a company called Innovos about how you put health services into the high street. So we've got, okay. we've got problems with the amount of space on lots of our hospital sites. We've got problems accessing some of them, car parking, and they're, they're outgrowing the space. We've got lots of empty space in the high street. And actually, we can drive footfall into the high street um, by moving so it's all it's about smart thinking about how we take the high street forwards um but business rates are a massive burden and we need to shift them yeah absolutely and i think that's something that a few of um your colleagues kind of in in our um patch as well have called for and uh, kind of signatories to letters and things like that i know i've um, mm. done some reporting on that in the past now look we've spoken a bit about the budget that's coming up that short term long term I guess to round us off I'm really interested to know you know by the time you're I, I imagine knocking on doors again in uh, in 2024 and saying please lend me your support again please give me your vote what are you hoping that you can point back to over the the previous five years I know that's a big question hopefully loads hopefully the end of a pandemic but if you had I don't know three big ticket things you can say yeah this is what I've done for my area what do you think they would be um, I think, I mean, we might, thankfully, you know, there was a point when we were all bored of talking about Brexit, but actually yeah. it's finally been done. And if it hadn't been done, we would still be bored of talking about it. Now I think we're all bored of talking about coronavirus and we wish it was over and wish it was done. Um, yeah, not off. <laughs> I, think, I think when you put all that in kind of Brexit is a big achievement. It's something that we were elected to do and we've delivered on it. For me, there were some other things that we were elected to do. One of them was about putting more police officers on the streets, uh, and we're definitely achieving that. There are already 159 more police officers uh, in my police force area. Not mm-hmm. only have we put more cops on the streets, we've given them greater powers to do stop and search. There is a huge amount um, of effort going into reviewing sentencing and how we can make uh, some of those sentences more fitting to some of the crimes. Uh, I, th- I think that that whole policing agenda, that whole law and order agenda, we're delivering on it and we're delivering on it big style. Mm-hmm. Um I think the other things are about the NHS, um, things that, basically all the things that make a difference to people's lives. The NHS, um, biggest cash boost in its history. Thousands more doctors working there, thousands more nurses. Obviously, there's now a debate about how we shape the, the infrastructure and how it's managed. Um, but actually, we're pouring in the resource and now we're going to make sure it gets as, as well spent as is humanly possible. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you can point back to those things by the time you're uh, knocking on doors in 2024, you'll be a happy man. Fingers crossed. It's all going well so far and we'll keep banging the drum and bringing the cash in. Absolutely. Well, look, Matt, it's been really, really good to have you on. Um, you come back in the future and tell us how you're getting on and, and update us, I imagine, will you? 
I most definitely will. And by then, there'll be a few more police officers on Stockton Street. We'll have some more of those fantastic jobs and some more of that investment that we've been on about. Yeah, can't wait. Absolutely. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post-Political Podcast. I've been Jerry Scott, Yorkshire Post-Westminster Correspondent, and you can find this podcast wherever you usually find your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. And for those that listen on Spotify, I'm afraid we've had a bit of an issue in the last few weeks where episodes have not been updating as quickly, but it's all fixed and you can get us there as normal again now. Now, look, it'd be really, really helpful if you could leave us a review, if you could subscribe. It really helps us to climb in the charts and we'll be back and see you next week. In a world where businesses can struggle with cash flow, come under attack from admin... And lose track of payments, invoices, and performance. One business and accounting software solution can help you find it all. Enterprise. The invoicing, accounting, and business software that saves the day from admin. Get paid in a flash and take control of your day. Start using now for free for life. Visit enterprise.com.